0: If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to read the first 19 verses. And if you don't have your scriptures with you today, there's an insert in your bulletin. And um, so follow along with this and uh, we're starting a new series today. And I hope that you all uh, enjoy it. So now hear uh, God's word. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor... Have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise without having any chief, officer, or ruler. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When, you, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a scoundrel, a wicked man, a villain, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked plans feet that make haste to run to evil a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers this is the word of the lord you know as i've told you in in past weeks and even on our monday night class and uh, Uh, in Sunday school classes in the past weeks that we live. uh, Most recently, I think a lot of things came together and people have recognized and are writing about the unique uh, cultural moment that we are living in. With the recent Supreme Court uh, ruling on gay marriage and the revelation of the horrors of Planned Parenthood and abortion And the selling of body parts of innocent uh, children, Uh, along with uh, the global catastrophes of ISIS committing um, such horrific atrocities, it staggers the imagination. And now we're seeing literally millions of human beings shifting and being displaced and having to flee Uh, For their lives. Uh, In our own country. We're experiencing political uh, polarization. Anger. Rage. Against uh, political uh, parties. And people. That I think is unprecedented. At least in my lifetime. Uh, The kind of hatred. That we are displaying. Towards our leaders. Regardless of the party. If you're on one side or the other. Uh, it's no longer a disagreement, it's pure contempt and hatred that we're displaying now. And uh, it's turning into something so ugly and so uh, polarizing that even the church is being infected. And my job, listen, someday, and I don't know, maybe sooner than later, I have no idea, But someday I will stand personally, Chuck Isaac, before Jesus Christ and I will give an account for how I shepherded your hearts. And I could stand here and incite you to such anger and violence and hatred of your political leaders and parties and people and ethnicities and and blacks and Muslims and everybody. I could stand here and incite you to such hatred that you'd be ready to leave here and kill. Or me and the other leaders of your church can teach you and instruct you in the way of wisdom. Wisdom. And the way of wisdom, folks, is much harder, much more difficult for us to negotiate than pure, raw hatred and anger, or just giving up all our values and taking in anything we, anything they say. Whatever the culture says, we take it. And I'm going to challenge you over the next few weeks as we enter into this study of Proverbs, to let the Word of God go down and surgically open your heart and reveal to you the potential idols and problems that are there. And give you wisdom in how to live because of our cultural moment, which is not unlike past cultural moments. In our lifetime, there are people here that remember what the, the, the cultural shift following World War II and how the world was turned upside down and then the cultural revolution of the 60s our our nation went through huge upheavals the world in general and of course of course post 911 the whole world changed on September 11th and now we live all of us in post christian america make no mistake Christianity is in a post-life in America. And I would like to suggest, I'm not sure if we ever were a Christian nation. Now, Some of you may disagree, but we can talk about that in perhaps Sunday school. But we live in a very unique moment. And so, these things that are tearing at our souls and causing people to stay up late at night, or you find yourself watching the news and being so inflamed and so angry at what's going on, and wondering if we've lost our world and lost our culture, the sage, Solomon and others that wrote these proverbs, speaks to us and tells us what we need to think, how we should look wisely. At the world around us. And so I'm going to challenge you to do that. The great danger, listen carefully and mark my words, the great danger for us as the church, or anybody for that matter, you could be an atheist, anyone can take this posture. And this posture will kill your soul. And here it is. We are 100% right. Right about what we believe, and we are suspicious and hold in contempt anyone who disagrees with us. Because what happens is that leads to anger, it leads to pride, and it leads eventually, if you don't believe it, all you have to do is look at the sad history of this world, eventually it leads to violence and death. And we cannot, as the church, my job is to come to you with wisdom. We're not going to compromise our beliefs, and at the same time, we are going to fight with every shred of our being this evil hatred and venom that seems to be percolating to the surface within our ranks. And so as your, as your pastor and as an elder in this church, it's my job to see that cynicism, listen carefully, cynicism which is a hallmark of of the postmodern world cynicism is antithetical to christianity in every single respect if you find yourself becoming cynical and hopeless and the world look what's look what the world has come to i'm telling you the answer is to to fight that with all your being and say not Look what the world is coming to, but look who has come into the world. Amen? If you can get your arms around that, that wisdom is a man, and that man has given his life for you and for this world, and he wants us now to engage our world wisely with kindness and love and perhaps sacrificing our own comforts and our own love, our own lives, for love's sake. And I hope that you'll spend these next few weeks letting the Word of God take you to the inner look. Because Proverbs is very powerful, causes us to face our idolaties, to diagnose our angers, our our fears... It brings into question our actions, our attitudes, and then it calls us to repent wisely, to take a path of wisdom. And so we're going to look over the next few weeks at this wonderful passage of Scripture about things that God hates. Things God hates. And He uses a word in Hebrew that means hate. He despises those seven things I read to you. And He is expecting you to hate them as well. And to and, and to embrace His values. And that's going to be a challenge. So today let's look at three things. And then over the next few weeks, we'll go over these in detail. And I, I think it will just... It, it has the potential of revolutionizing some of your thinking. Some of you may already be... Uh, Uh, Like Richard Pratt used to tell us in class, he said, all of you older guys, he was talking to me, I was an older guy in class, and there were a lot of older guys in my class. He says, you guys, I wish you all would just leave, you older guys, because you're not going to listen to anything I say. The younger ones here, they have a chance. But you older ones, please leave. And I told him, I said, you know what, I've paid my money, I'm staying. So... Let this work on your heart, old, young, wherever you are, especially those of you that are younger. The Proverbs was written to you. The youth, the son, daughter, it's generic. The youth were to capture this and let it form their spiritual DNA and become who they were. And then you will follow the path of righteousness and the path of wisdom. And it will take you to hard places, but those hard places you will be wise and even some of us old ones old dogs we can learn new tricks. Okay, so let's look at three things. Here's your outline. We're going to look at three inferior persons, persone inferiores. Inferior persons. We're going to look at the seven things that God hates, and then we're going to look at the superior the superior person. So three inferior persons. Now remember this about Proverbs. Proverbs is not Uh, promises but proverbs don't have promises they may sound like promises but they're not proverbs are what they're proverbs and so in proverbs you have sayings that are very uh, enigmatic they're a little puzzling answer a fool according to his folly next verse don't answer a fool according to his folly both are imperatives which one do you do So Proverbs is saying this and that. Compare them. It's a wisdom book and it has to be read as wisdom. And so there's going to be a lot of uh, puzzles to unravel. And when we look at three inferior persons, you say, "Well, is God saying people are inferior? Yes. The sage, the writer of Proverbs, is a wise man who is simply observing the world. He's not telling you how to judge and how to think about, you know, people and, well, I think this one is He's an inferior person. He's just saying you recognize, look, open your eyes, compare, there are people who are inferior. Now, do you know how to recognize that? Here's what an inferior person looks like, here's what he does. And don't be like that. Don't do those things. And He he uses all kinds of people. Now, I've picked this particular passage because it ends in the section we're going to look at, but He's talking about you being an observer and then taking the information that you're getting and being able to weigh it and think about it wisely and then act appropriately. In other words, you take steps that cause you to walk along in wisdom, not in folly not in foolishness. And he gives us these three people, and I'm not going to refer to these very much, but let me just say, these are not all the, the folly or foolish people that he talks about in Proverbs. These are just three. He talks about a surety, a sluggard, and a troublemaker. These are the three people he's addressing. A surety. A surety is someone who uh, for whatever reason, gets into a business dealing with somebody who's going to cost him money. In other words, a surety is someone who co-signs a bad loan. He's not talking about co-signing or having a business, you're a banker, or maybe you loan money to people, or uh, you sell, you're sell. you in the car business and you sell cars on payments. That's what my grandfather did. It's not that. It's signing a note being a surety or a guarantor for a loan that you know is bad. In other words, you're getting into an arrangement unequally yoked with someone that is going to put your future and your life in jeopardy. And we do this, a lot of us, in a lot of different ways. It's not merely with money. We often find ways to get into relationships that are incongruent with who we are. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have friends that are sinners and that aren't Christians. In fact, I would encourage more of you to make friends with more sinners. Because you are one. And you'll be right at home with them if you give it a chance. And so why not be open to to getting to know people? But he's saying don't put your future in jeopardy by signing on to or locking your life in a way to where you do what they do. And you've been put in jeopardy. So the surety, interestingly enough, the sage calls him a son. He says this is a naive person. A person who's not wise, but foolish. Naive in that he is putting his future in jeopardy. He's not able to recognize What's going? He's he's allowing another person to control his destiny. Okay. Second one is the sluggard. Now he doesn't call the sluggard a son. He departs, but it's the same type of man or woman, the same person. This person is not a son, but he's also naive. But in addition to being naive, he is lazy. He is a sluggard. In fact, he won't even lift his hand to his mouth to feed himself. This is a, a poetic device to explain just how how lazy this person is. They don't want to work. They don't want to do anything. They just want to fool around and, and be and and lazy about. And they're jeopardizing. Whereas the surety is jeopardizing their life by putting it in control of another. The sluggard is jeopardizing his future. How? By not providing for his future. By not providing for his future. And then the third worthless person, the third inferior person that he's talking about, is a troublemaker. And this word in Hebrew is very interesting. Worthless man, uh, a wicked person. The words are Belial, for worthless, and for wicked, Awen. And these words mean this, Belial, some of you have heard Belial. Belial was a word for Satan. Uh, it was a word for someone who was worthless, an incendiary uh, person, an insurrectionist Someone who inflamed others with their speech and with their action. Okay? They're good for nothings. A good for nothing. A scoundrel. That was a Belial. In the Hebrew it says of Belial, or you could translate it son of Belial. A a worthless person is a son of Belial, a son of the devil. Worthless, a scoundrel. Now listen, the sage is not asking you to think, well, oh, is that person redeemable? Can't they be saved by Jesus and all that? Well, yes, of course, because, because you and me are them. Yes, we were that person. And He came and He saved us, so no one is without hope. But the sage is not asking you to ask those questions. The sage, as all Proverbs is, is simply asking you to observe. And say, this is like that. That's what a proverb is, by the way. This is like that. It's a comparison. And then it's saying, now that you've seen the comparison, take this path, not that path. You with me? That's what Proverbs are. There's a lot I could say about it, but we can't. Um, so a troublemaker, a worthless man, that word worthless means belial, it's an incendiary and insurrectionist. You know, a few years ago in my journey group, uh, during Lent in journey, I challenged my uh, journey guys uh, to give up something for Lent. Now some of you may get hives and think, oh my God, Chuck's a Roman Catholic. I'm actually not, I'm really an Eastern Orthodox. No, I'm, I'm a Presbyterian. But during Lent, I challenged my guys in my journey group for 40 days to stop listening to talk radio. Now, I don't care what what channel of talk radio. It could be the conservative channel with Rush and Sean and all these other uh, prophets uh, of doom. Um, Or it could be the liberal talk radio. At the time, there was a liberal talk radio and there were other people on there. And I challenged my guys. I said, for 40 days, don't listen to this incendiary, insurrectionist talk that does nothing but inflame people to anger. Just don't do it for 40 days. He said, oh, well, that's too naive. I mean, we need to know what's going on. Do you really? Just how much do you need to know? Do you need to know the world's in trouble? Yes. And how much do you need to know? A lot. But that's not what these guys do. And if you listen to them, they are there to incite and make you angry. Yes? You may not like that, and I'm sorry, I apologize to you that are devotees of that kind of thing that's going on, but... When you find someone talking to you and it's making you angry and you're feeling that bile rise up in your heart and you're feeling hopeless, we've got to do something because look, our culture, we're losing. We've got to get it back. We've got to get our nation back. When you hear that kind of talk, there is a whole subtext that is under it where you are, are assuming and believing that at one time this country belonged to you. Are you with me? Now, if you're a black man, you know this country never belonged to you. And if you're an Hispanic person, you know that in 25 years from now, this country will belong to you. And if you're Lebanese, uh, American like I am, you know that this country will never belong to you and that maybe no country will ever belong to you. Yes? Depends on who you are. Wisdom will open your eyes and you'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't own this country, I don't own this world. I don't own this political party and I don't own these people. God owns this, this country, He owns this world, this is His world. And if things are falling out a certain way, it's because He wants them to fall out a certain way. What is my role? What is my role? My role is to speak wisdom and to be wise not to compromise my beliefs, but when I see anger and hatred, I have to question that. Yes? Do you see where I'm going? If you don't see that in yourself, you will get caught up along the path of folly. And you will wake up one day and find out that people have actually been lying to you. And you'll feel betrayed and you'll get more angry. President Bush, the first President Bush, said no new taxes. And what happened? What happened? There were new taxes, yes. He had to compromise for perhaps good reasons, I don't know. But a whole group of people could not forgive him. And he lost the election. Because political leaders will always disappoint you. So will church leaders. So will your husbands and your wives. Yes? Everybody disappoints everybody. But there is someone who absolutely never disappoints us. (laughs) And so wisdom will take you to Him and from Him to these problems and troubles that we all experience. Listen to what Dr. Walke in his Proverbs commentary, amazing. Listen to what he said very quickly because we've got to get on Surety... The surety is addressed as son, but not so the sluggard and the troublemaker. Whereas the surety and the sluggard, listen, this is important. The surety and the sluggard harm themselves. The troublemaker, the insurrectionist, the one who is inciting people to anger, is hurting others. Do you see it? And this is why for that person he's called a son of Belial a worthless person, a scoundrel. The one who becomes security and the sluggard are not wicked, but in the naivety of surety and sluggishness, uh, there is the beginning. Listen to this, folks. Very important. is the beginning of that which all too easily can lead to the evil of the wicked. What Dr. Walkie is simply saying is this. We, human beings, all of us, tend to be naive, yes? Now we don't want to be naive, so often we'll overcorrect and try to become really, really smart so that we're smarter than everybody else. And Malcolm Muggeridge said, we have educated ourselves into imbecility. You see, you can start to think, I've got it all figured out. I am a political pundit, and I can see all the moving parts, and I know exactly what needs to be done. I am 100% right. And those people, whoever they may be, they could be conservative, liberal, makes no difference. They, the other people, are the ones that are 100% wrong, and therefore, we can hold them in contempt. And this is the danger. See, folks, I'm interested. My, the pulse of my heart as your pastor is to see that you do not let the infection of hatred, anger, venom, disappointment, idolatry just name them, you can list and list and list, that it doesn't touch your heart. I cannot cure cancer. I can't cure heart disease. I can't do any of the. We can pray and we can ask God to do those things. But your elders and your leaders are charged with watching over the health of your hearts. Do you see it? And so my obligation and the obligation of the other elders in this church is to speak to you peace and love. And not to become cynical, but rather to let joy clash up against the heartache of this troubled world. Yes? Not happy joy like we're all in Disneyland when the world's falling apart. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about truly going against the injustices and the wrongs of this world and doing something about them. Even if it's sending $25 to uh, the relief fund for the Syrians fleeing, whatever you have to... It could be the smallest thing, it could be a large thing. But in some way, it could be going to the polls. Becoming active for a good candidate. A candidate that actually has some ideas. Not just a loud voice and weird hair. Yeah? And lots of money. Come on, folks. Be wise. Listen to what is happening. And then make your decisions. So, the sluggard and the surety are the beginnings of moving into the place of wickedness. And he talks about these body parts, these actions of these three inferior persons. The crooked speech, there's verbal falsehood, there's lying and obfuscation, and only telling half the story. You, as Christian people of all the people in the world, should be able to turn on the news and listen to these candidates all in a row, and actually hear the truth of what they're saying, yes? And I'm suggesting you actually do that. Listen to what they are really saying. Or not. Okay? That's wisdom. Listen to what the cultural pundits are saying. Is it okay? Is, is there any possible world that you can imagine that a baby is born, its feet are moving and its heart is beating, and they kill it? Is there any possible world that you can imagine that? And 177 members of our Congress voted, what, yesterday or day before that that's okay? And do you think that getting a piece of cardboard and nailing it to a piece of wood and walking around going rah, rah, is going to do any good? We've got to have wisdom, folks, to address the real problems of people's hearts. Or we will get nowhere. Yes? Do you see that? We're just going to become more and more polarized, more and more hate filled, more and more enraged, and less and less effective. The early Roman to the church in the early Roman history, uh, Roman history during the early church, they actually practiced infanticide where they took their children. If they didn't want them, what did they do with them? What did they do? They threw them out. Literally, they took them out and they threw them in the garbage. And the Christians were known for going and collecting these babies. And so yes, we've got to oppose these things with every shred of our being. It's how we go about it and what we do. We may be able to use political means. We may have to actually uh, practice more adoption within our churches. We may have to give money to other organizations. We may have to try with all of our might to elect leaders who are wise, who have hearts of compassion, yes? Yes a person who thinks that's okay something's wrong with that person yes something's wrong and so wisdom will take you to the place you need to go these are cricket we're getting lied to every day folks winking eyes look scraping feet pointing fingers this is lying with your physical body. If any of you have ever been in a business negotiation, you're sitting around a table, those guys are over there, our guys are over here. There's, you know, some planning went into how we're going to negotiate, how we're going to do it. And, and in the ancient Near East, they still do it today. There was, you know, you'd move your foot a certain way and you'd point your finger a certain way or you'd pull your ear or you'd wink with your eye or you'd do that, you know, three times meant give more money two times meant cut the money whatever the case may be but there was a plan to deceive and disadvantage the people on the other side of the table do you see it that's what it was all about winking eyes and 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 god is telling us through the sage this is something i hate i hate it when people lie i hate it when they misdirect And I hate it when they scheme in order to disadvantage someone. Dr. Walke, his Old Testament uh, definition of wickedness and righteousness was this. Wickedness was disadvantaging somebody for your own advantage. Righteousness was advantaging someone else, listen carefully folks, at your own expense. In other words, if you did a good deed and it didn't cost you anything, that was not considered righteous. Do you see it? But if you did a good deed and it cost you something, you were the good Samaritan and you had to lay out good hard earned money to take care of somebody that hated you. The Jewish person on the road who had been been robbed. If it cost you something, that was righteousness. If it didn't cost you anything, it was no righteousness. Jesus said it this way. He said, Even the tax collectors and the sinners love each other. There's no big deal. But love your enemies. If you can love your enemy, if you can do good to those that despitefully use you, if you can bless them, wow, you have done something because it costs you. Do you see that? So important. And I'm afraid Americans, particularly some of us in the church, we just don't want to be disadvantaged at all. We don't want anything to cost us. And I know, folks, this may be hard to hear, but these are days in which there's going to be some costs to stand up for righteousness. Yes? And to be wise. And I hope that you will do that. Sin has a progression. And let me finish uh, very quickly. We'll come back to this next week. The Apostle James put it this way, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He Himself tempts no one. Listen, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, epithumia, by his own desire. This is an over-desire. This is not just wanting, you know, a chocolate chip cookie. This is that if I don't get that chocolate chip cookie, I'm going to die. You see, it's over-desire. A person is tempted when he is lured, enticed by his own desire. And the desire, when it's fully conceived, gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And and James is just saying that uh, sin has a progression. And you've got to be wise and be able to look inside your own heart and see if that progression is making its way through your own heart. Yes, you've got to be able to do that. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to do. So the diagnostics, we can't spend much time on this, are these, these seven things that the uh, sage lays out for us. And, and they can be summarized this way. Dr. Kidner in his commentary summarizes them as this, and this is what we'll talk about next week. Our attitude, the haughty eyes, uh, our heart that devises wicked plans, our thoughts, uh, our lying speech and false witness, which are the way we use our our, uh, our tongues, our speech, words. Uh, hands that shed innocent blood. These are our deeds, the way we act. And finally, uh, the influence or power. Sowing discord. How you use the power and the influence uh, that God has given you. And we'll, we'll look at those uh, more next week. So what God is telling you is here are some diagnostics that you can look at and, and let, me, let me close with this. Listen carefully. What the sage is saying is that the wise man, this person, he will recognize these things. The naive, the fool, the surety, the sluggard, not the troublemaker, he's the problem for everybody else. But those people that there is a naivete that can take place in our hearts to where we can get caught up. Listen. We can get caught up in the folly of the wicked. And we can start down the path. Now, young, young folks, listen to me for a minute. This is what the path looks like. Let me just tell you this and then I'll, I'll finish. The path is like this. It's a line. We think the path is like this and that it has a fork in the road. Alright? That's not the path. The path is like this. The fork in the road is way over there. The, the turn is a left-hand turn. Or a right-hand turn, depending on which political party you're in. It's not finding two, two roads. You know, I came into the road, I found two ways, I took the road less traveled, whatever, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 it's not that. It's going on a completely different road. And what happens if you do this? Listen, young, young folks, listen. Listen. You're going, you're walking this way, but you stop and you say, No, no, I'm going to go over here. Watch this. Watch, you kids. Now you get over here and you find out, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm over here. Look what has happened to me. I I was young once. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I was young once, and I found myself way over here. Now what do you have to do? If the path was like this, they're just to kind of you know, parallel. You just, oh, it's easy. Step over here. I'm back on wisdom, yes? But it doesn't work like that. Any of you that have any mileage on your lives, you know it doesn't work like that. What do you have to do? You've got to make the trip back. And that's where the Gospel comes in. It's the trip back. And the trip back is not somebody telling you, here's the way back. The trip back is the way. It's a person. God did something amazing in the Gospel that brings wisdom together. He gave you wisdom in the flesh. He gave you Jesus Christ. Who, in the irony, listen to this, the irony of the Gospel is that God put Jesus up as surety, for you he did the most foolish crazy insane almost unbelievable amazing sh- mind-shattering heart-rending thing you can imagine god did something foolish he made his son a surety for us And He conquered death, hell, and the grave on the cross for you and for me. Folks, if you can see that, if you can embrace God's surety, it will free you from being a surety. If you can embrace one who never let any... Grass grow under His feet. Jesus was no sluggard. He was on every day of His life from the time He was born. He was in battle for you and I. If you can see that man conquering laziness and sluggardliness, if you can see Him being a surety, putting up His life For yours on the cross, if you can embrace that great wisdom, the wisdom of the Gospel, which the Apostle Paul said was foolishness to people. They look at it and they say, that's the most foolish thing in the world. And then Paul has the audacity to say, you, embrace that foolishness. And it will be wisdom to you. Jesus Christ has been made wisdom to us, Paul said. And if we can do that, folks, nothing can stand in our way. The whole world can collapse around us and the church of Jesus Christ will be salt and light. Yes? We will be that. And we will be able to speak with prophetic wisdom. And people will actually start listening to us and saying, you know what? They do have a better way. Instead of the foolishness that I think many of us have engaged in. So I'm encouraging you to be here over the next six weeks. We'll get into this more uh, over uh, the time that remains. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank You. Uh, uh, I know this is such hard things to talk about. We live in a cultural moment, Lord. I don't even understand. My head is spinning every day as I read and watch the news and I think about what's happening to our poor world. And it's so easy to make people mad and incite people to hatred and to offer platitudes and get one group on a side against another group. And I pray, Father, that Christ the King will not be that kind of church. That we will be not, And I don't want us to be in the middle either, Lord Jesus, please. I want us to be a light and a city set on a hill and that we have wisdom and are speaking words of life to this dying world and to our poor country. It's midnight in America, as one writer recently posted. It is midnight. And we are praying, Father, that Your church will rise up and for once truly be the light of the world, speaking words of wisdom and holding forth the wisdom of God Himself, Jesus Christ, our our Savior. Please help us do that. We're asking it in His name. Amen.